0: Hi there, it's Matt here and welcome back to the podcast and welcome back to another of those hot off the press episodes. And here, as you'll remember, we dive into some of the latest and greatest and especially striking new sleep science. This week, our topic is all about catch up sleep and whether or not weekend catch up sleep actually works. Now, if you've been following the podcast for a while, you'll have heard me state that the recommended amount of sleep for the average adult, and this is described by the CDC and other organizations like it, is somewhere between seven to nine hours each night. Now, you'll notice the word each at the end of that sentence, because for so many understandable reasons, including work schedules and kids and work stress, Many individuals fail to get the minimum of seven hours of sleep each and every night, especially during the week. And we see this time and time again across all of our studies and large survey evaluations throughout most industrialized nations across the globe. When it comes to human sleep, people tend to short sleep during the week and then they try to long sleep at the weekend. And it doesn't seem to matter whether you are inherently a short sleeper or not, if you are a napper, if you're a morning type or an evening type, most people seem to engage in sleep less during the week and more during the weekend. Now, I'm sure this is no surprise to you, this idea that people sleep shorter amounts during the week and then sleep longer amounts during the weekend. And I'm also sure that you understand why this is happening biologically. Large swaths of the global population are building up a weekly sleep debt and then they're trying to pay it back during the two days of the weekend. But does sleep really work like that? Does it work like the bank? Can we truly pay off an accumulated debt by sleeping more over the weekend? This was the topic of the new study that we're going to discuss today. And it contains some striking findings. The study was conducted by a good friend, Dr. Kenneth Wright, at the University of Colorado in Boulder, here in the United States of America. Um, Honestly, Ken does some of the most novel, some of the most groundbreaking work in sleep science. This is not the last time that I will speak about his work. It's bloody amazing. He's fantastic. Anyway. It was a study that was small in the total number of participants that they studied, but very, very well controlled, which means the tightness and the robustness and the validity of those findings are that much more potent. So they assessed a total of 36 healthy adults, and there were equal numbers of both males and females in the study. And they brought all of those individuals into the laboratory for essentially a two week period. Upon entering the laboratory, and after several baseline nights where all of the participants sort of get comfortable with being in the sleep laboratory, by the way, we always do this in our sleep studies and we do this in sleep science, it's called an adaptation night or several adaptation nights just so that you get used to the the sleep surroundings and it also serves as a baseline measure. So after these initial adaptation nights, the participants were then split up into three groups. Here are the following three groups. Group number one was allowed a nine hour sleep opportunity in bed each and every night for the next nine nights. Group number two was limited to five hours of sleep a night for those nine remaining nights. And group three was the most interesting group, and it's the group that we're going to focus on today. A sponsor of today's show is Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service, and they come to your home, as they do for me and they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is happening inside of you regarding a host of different blood and metabolic and hormonal health metrics. What I also like is that in addition to the results, they then provide you with a personalized set of recommended, I guess, sort of lifestyle changes and suggestions to better optimize your health as a consequence of what those results were for you, that unique snowflake. So you can use the link insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker, and you will get a healthy discount from your purchase. So again, that is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Group three was also limited to five hours of sleep a night, but for only five nights. Then they had two nights of full recovery sleep where they could get as much sleep as they possibly wanted. So in essence, the researchers designed group three to mimic this sort of typical societal working schedule where people short sleep during the week and then they try to sleep it all off at the weekend. And in all seriousness, I've often thought of this pattern almost like a societal form of sleep bulimia. It's this selective purging of sleep during the week and then binge sleeping at the weekend. So returning to the study, after being assigned to one of those three different groups, the participants were then assessed around the clock with a variety of different medical and health assessments. And of course, their sleep was recorded in the laboratory each and every one of those nights. So that left us with a specific set of outcome measures in this study. And those outcome measures included changes in their sleep, of course, but also changes in their circadian rhythm, changes in their food consumption, changes in their body weight, and also changes in their insulin sensitivity, which is a critical hormone that helps control your blood sugar levels. So you can see how intensive this study is, bringing people in, keeping them there for two weeks, and assessing them every hour of every day and night with all sorts of health and clinical metrics. It's so impressive. So then just as a refresher, the four outcomes are changes in sleep, changes in their circadian clock, changes in their blood sugar regulation, and changes in their food consumption and their body weight. So what did they find in these four areas? Well, as I said at the start, I'm going to focus on that critical group three. You remember those people who were short sleeping during the week, and then they had the weekend to essentially try to get as much catch-up sleep as they wanted. And I'm going to focus on that group because I suspect that that's the group that's most relevant to you, the listener. And of course, the million-dollar question is this. During the weekend, did they recover all of the sleep that they had lost? And did their bodies recover all of the health that had been disrupted during the week? Let's first focus on outcome metric number one, the sleep of group number three. As you'll remember, during the course of those five first nights, those five essentially workday week nights, they were restricted to five hours a night. And as a result, by the end of that five-day working week, they had lost a total of 12 hours of sleep relative to a standard eight-hour sleep opportunity. What that meant is that they were going into their recovery weekend carrying a 12-hour sleep debt. How much of that 12-hour sleep debt were they able to pay off at the weekend? Well, they were only able to sleep back just three hours in total across those two weekend nights. They obtained two extra hours of sleep on the first recovery weekend night and one extra hour on the second recovery night. And you may be wondering why. Why were they only able to sleep back such a small amount relative to the total debt? Well, this comes back to what we said at the start of the podcast. Sleep Ready just is not like the bank. You can't accumulate a debt and then hope to pay it off at a later point in time. In fact, they only paid back 25% of the total debt that they owed the sleep bank. They only slept back three of the missing 12 hours of sleep. And what this means in the sort of the real world scenario that we're considering here is that those individuals by Sunday evening, would then start their next working week still carrying a nine-hour sleep debt. They only slept back three of the missing 12 hours from the past week, so now they're still in debt a full nine hours. And then they go into the next week of short sleep, and they try to pay it off. And we assume that they only pay off another three hours. So by the second working week or the end of that second working week, they're now carrying an 18-hour sleep debt. And it becomes like this vicious compounding interest on a bad subprime mortgage loan. And by the way, there was even more nuance and concern regarding this sleep debt. It wasn't just a deficit in the total amount of sleep. But the researchers observed a deficit in the electrical quality of their deep sleep caused by this sleep bulimia-like pattern. Specifically, the amount of those big, powerful, deep, slow brainwaves that their brains were trying to generate even by the end of the recovery sleep weekend, meaning even by Sunday evening, was significantly lower than the amount that their brain was able to generate at the start of the study under baseline sleep-rested conditions. That means that even after a weekend of a sort of an all-you-can-eat buffet, or actually, all-you-can-sleep <laughs> all buffet, your brain was still lacking in terms of those marvelous slow brainwave oscillations. So that was the first outcome measure, the first piece of news, the changes in sleep. Next, we need to look at the remaining three outcome measures, which concerns their body health. Again, if we focus on group three, who were mimicking that typical overworked, underslept amount during the week and then binge sleeping at the weekend, what the researchers also discovered that there was something wrong with the circadian clock. Now, as you know from previous episodes, sleep and the circadian rhythm are intertwined and they ensure that we are active and awake during the day and then fast asleep at night. And part of that circadian rhythm regulation of our wake and sleep schedule comes down to a hormone called melatonin, which we've spoken about before. And it's sometimes called the hormone of darkness because it signals to your brain when the timing is for sleep at night and also when melatonin is suppressed in the morning, it signals it's time for us to be awake. It's light outside. So melatonin is a key instrument in your wake-sleep orchestra, as it were. And what the researchers found were changes in the release of melatonin. And more specifically, it was less so about the release of melatonin at night and more so about the lack of suppression of melatonin in the morning. In other words, the lingering of melatonin in the system when it should not be there. Even by the end of the recovery weekend, starting the next week, which essentially would be your next Monday after the recovery sleep weekend, Melatonin levels were still significantly higher in the morning when those individuals woke up and started to return to their working week schedule. Normally, they should have hit rock bottom in the early morning hours. And that allows you to wake up feeling alert and refreshed and not sleepy and groggy. But melatonin was lingering. It's as if the recovery sleep had distorted their melatonin profile. And the timing of melatonin had become more haywire, particularly in those morning hours, leading to a sense of drowsiness. Which is to say that participants woke up that Monday, even after the recovery sleep weekend, and their brain and their body was still thinking that it was in night mode. And um, (laughs) this could be the nerdiest reason you've ever heard as to why nobody likes Mondays. Oh, and just a, a doff of my cap to the incredible song by uh, Sir Bob Geldof's band, The Boomtown Rats. I'm showing my age here, back in the 1980s. It's a great song called "Tell Me Why I Don't Like Mondays," and it actually addresses an equally serious topic if you if you look into it. The other supporter of this podcast is the electrolyte drink company called Element. Now, it's actually four letters, L-M-N-T. I am a bit of an exercise fanatic, and I started buying their products some years ago, really, because of two key facts. First is the lack of sugar content. Element has no sugar. It also has no colorings, no artificial ingredients, which is unlike many of the other mixes out there that I was shopping the second is because of the founders who have some serious years of biochemistry experience under their belts, and they know what they're doing. So if you want to give it a try, just go to drinklmnt.com forward slash Matt and you will get eight free sample packs on any order that you place. Once again, that is drinklmnt t.com/mattwalker So, that's changes in sleep and that's changes in their circadian clock and particularly their melatonin regulation, leaving them sleepy in the morning. Now, let's discuss what happened to their appetite and specifically how much they were eating. That group number 3, those who were short sleeping during the week and then sleep binging at the weekend. They started to eat more. In fact, they started to eat quite a lot more. By the end of the evaluation study period, they had eaten an extra 750 calories more than their typical own food amount intake during the baseline period. And sadly, it showed too. Even within just this short evaluation period... Those individuals in Group 3 had gained on average almost 2.2 pounds of additional weight, which is just over 1 kilogram of added body mass. What was most interesting, by the way, is that most of these calories were coming from snacks that the participants were eating either before their main dinner or after their main dinner during that short sleeping weekday period. And finally... On top of these changes, these changes in sleep, changes in circadian rhythm, changes in excess eating and weight gain, the participants could also not regulate their blood sugar levels. In fact, their levels of insulin, which is a key hormone in the pathway of helping your cells soak up and prevent dangerous sugar spikes in your blood, those levels of insulin had become impaired. And they were impaired even after the recovery weekend sleep. That catch-up sleep did not restore balance to their levels of insulin and hence their regulation of blood sugar. And so as a consequence, they lost the normal control of their blood glucose. And when you can't manage that blood sugar well, then that sets you on a path towards type 2 diabetes. Something I should also mention that's worthy of note, the other group, Group 2, who were sleeping five hours a night for the entirety of the study and who got no weekend chance for catch-up or recovery sleep, they showed a very similar profile of excessive eating, weight gain, and dysregulated blood sugar levels. And that's important because what it means is that having the opportunity to sleep longer at the weekend does not make up for the metabolic mayhem that is triggered by insufficient sleep during the weekday. So, if we sum up all of the results here, that common practice in society of short sleeping during the working week and then hoping to undo the damage by sleep binging at the weekend just doesn't seem to work. Even with all of the catch-up sleep during the weekend, you will still be carrying a sleep debt at the end, and there will be distortions in both your melatonin circadian rhythms, in appetite, in excess eating, and also a dysregulation in blood sugar control. But still, I want to be so careful here. I don't mean to sound all doomsday, as I think I've rightly been charged with in the past Please don't be disheartened. The take-home message here isn't about me saying, do not spend your weekends enjoying the sleep that you deserve. That is not my suggestion here, not at all. Instead, I see it more as yet another confirmation that we human beings are just not meant to try to survive on five hours of sleep a night, no matter how hard we try to compensate for it. And not to sound like a broken record, but sleep-ready just doesn't seem to be like the bank. And what these researchers and many other studies very much like this one have demonstrated is that the elastic band of sleep loss can stretch only so far before it snaps. And there is no full elastic restitution of that sleep band across a weekend of recovery sleep. So what am I suggesting here? Well, instead, what I hope for, and for all of you listening, in fact, the entire of the world's populace, is the right to a full night of sleep. I see it as a basic human right. And that's what I wish for so very much. And with that, I will bid you my farewell. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and goodbye for now.